Detective Jesus de la Cruz's undercover narcotics assignment ended in a bloody mess. Over the last four years, he's rebuilt his life one day at a time. For his career, murder has been anything but by the books. Read Cruz's first story, Exacting Justice, by me, T.G. Wolf, and then follow him through ra- Driving Rain and Raising Stakes. His fourth case, Playing Dead, is coming spring 2024. Welcome. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. Jack's glaring at me because wow. I screwed up. Wow. And then I couldn't find the on button on my mic. Anyway. All right. Let's, let's, but it's let's live. Let's again. No, okay. Tr- no. Okay. No. Don't edit it out. We won't edit it. I didn't think you would. No. <laughs> Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and very picky producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you in the heart of murder, mystery, and mayhem. Some episodes are original stories. Others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. All are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, as we just proved and proved again, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, unless the dogs start barking. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. And mystery readers, check out our print and ebooks. Last season's companion, A Word Before Dying, is available in trade paperback from Amazon and ebook everywhere. To celebrate the start of our new season, the ebook is available for 99 cents and trade paperbacks have been discounted. This is season five, Move It or Lose It. This season contains original stories paying homage to the vehicles that propel mysteries forward. A train was the setting for Agatha Christie's famed Murder on the Orient Express. A riverboat then took center stage on Death of the Nile. Cars have been prominently featured in American crime stories with the glory of the getaway vehicle. And then there are the heists from carriages to trains to armored trucks. For episode two, an ambulance is a featured vehicle. This is Finding Fault by me, T.G. Wolfe. A perfectly fine man. I do not owe you 20 and I didn't take the bet. Cleveland detective Jesus de la Cruz stepped off the elevator, putting distance between him and the man who was born arguing. The hell you didn't, Cruzy. I said, I bet you 20 the Guardians were going to roll through August, and you said, right. Bet made. Cleveland detective Matt Yablonski was as oblique physically as his current argument. Bald with no neck and a copper beard, he was often mistaken for a man who should be in handcuffs instead of the man carrying them. Cruz scowled at his supposed best man. When I said right, I meant I was done with the conversation, not taking the bet. Besides, I bought your lunch. 
I forgot my wallet, Yablonsky whined. The chiropractor said I shouldn't carry it in my back pocket anymore. It's messing up my spine. Homicide Captain Kurt Montoya stepped out of the closet that masqueraded as a conference room, closing the door behind him. Cruz, perfect timing. Got one for you. You too, Yablonsky. Cruz was homicide. Yablonsky narcotics. If the captain had a case for both of them, it involved death and drugs. Mrs. Christine Westman is asking us to investigate the death of her husband, Montoya said. David Westman died two days ago of a drug overdose. He was 37 and, according to his wife, hadn't touched anything stronger than 10-year-old scotch since law school. Cruz reached inside of his coat for his notebook. She wouldn't be the first wife to be the last to know what her husband was shooting into his arm. Does she have any real reasons to believe it was anything more? I leave that to the two of you. Brief me after, Montoya said, then returned to his office. Yablonsky elbowed Cruz. I bet you 20 that he OD'd. No, you ass, I'm not betting you. Cruz opened the door before Yablonsky could argue. Mrs. Weissman, I'm Detective De La Cruz. This is Detective Yablonsky. Captain Montoya said you have concerns about your husband's death. I'm sorry for your loss, he said, taking the chair across from the widow. Very sorry for your loss, Yablonsky echoed as he took the chair next to Cruz. The woman seated at the table was dressed in black. Her hair hung around her face, stringy from where tears had soaked it. Her eyes were puffy and her upper lip was rubbed raw from crying. Thank you, detectives. Ever since I got the call, I've been crying. I can't seem to stop, but that doesn't mean I'm hysterical. She looked Cruz in the eyes and then Yablonsky. I'm not hysterical. Cruz reached down to the small table in the corner and retrieved a box of tissues. Tell us about your husband. David, she said, taking one of the tissues and pressing it to her eyes. We met when he was in law school. I was still an undergrad. We've been married for 11 years and we have three children. David was the assistant coach on our eight-year-old's basketball team. He was a good husband, a good father, and a good lawyer. She steeled herself, clenching the tissue in a tight fist. He was not a drug addict, and he did not kill himself. He died two days ago, is that right, Cruz asked. The widow nodded. I got a call from his assistant, Jude Tidemore. He said David had an episode of some kind and was on his way to the hospital. I called my neighbor to watch our youngest and, and race downtown. We live over in Westlake, she said, her voice starting to tighten. When I got there, they said, they told me that he was, he was dead on arrival. Mrs. Weissman took a moment to collect herself. Doesn't make sense, detectives. According to Jude, David was feeling better when he left the office. How could he be dead when he arrived at the hospital? What information did the ER doc give you? Yablonsky asked gently. They told me he overdosed. They said it would take a toxicology analysis to determine what he had taken. I signed off on the lab analysis and the and the autopsy. Something is wrong. It's, it's not just a feeling, she said, cutting off the, anything the pair was going to say. When I saw him in the hospital, he had scratches on his arm. He didn't have any when he left home that morning. He was perfectly fine. He was a perfectly fine, healthy man.
A Case of the Nods. Crew sat at the kitchen table of the firehouse, his hands around a mug of fresh coffee, his fifth of the day. Yablonski was just as happy next to him downing a can of pop with just as much caffeine and a bucket of sugar. Across the table were the first responders who attended to David Wisman. Diana Mahathy was a 10-year veteran paramedic with long blonde hair and athletic build. She didn't look like someone who made her living pulling people out of medical emergencies. My plan was to be a nurse, she said. I went the EMT route to get some training while I saved money for college. Turned out I loved the rush of responding to calls. So I said goodbye to nursing and went through the training to become a paramedic. She turned to her partner. This is what, your third year, Tim? The EMT next to her nodded his head. Tim Jackson was of average height, but with a lean and well-defined muscles. Three years last October, he said. I did my first year at another station and then was transferred here. I got lucky. Diana is a great teacher and a great partner. How long have you two been partners? We're not partners, Cruz said quickly. Nope. I work solo, except for the dogs barking in the background. <laughs> and chaos ensued. Hold on. We will now cut to a commercial break. Hi, has you or a loved one ever suffered from dogs barking in the background of your podcast? Mysteries to Die For brings you their latest and greatest project, Having Less Dogs. Have too many dogs? Well, don't. For $0 down and $0 per month, you can have a quieter lifestyle. Does this mean you can't own any dogs? Of course not. Just don't adopt four. I know they're cute, but have a little self-restraint. Other products and mysteries to die for include having less cats. Does your house stink because you let your four-legged friend take a dump in your living room? Well, with having less cats, it doesn't have to. Now, back to your regularly scheduled program. And we're back. We're not partners, Cruz said quickly. Nope, I work solo, Yablonski said at the same time. Cruz scowled at Yablonski, who gave him the same look back. Anyway, a few days ago, you both responded to a call for medical assistance at Key Tower, Cruz said. The patient was David Wisman. He was DOA. It's hard to forget those, Diana said sadly, bumping her shoulder against her partners. It's hard to remember that there's only so much you can do and that you aren't going to save them all. That's the truth, Yablonski said. Can you walk us through the call? Well, the caller didn't give the dispatcher much information. Diana rose and retrieved the coffee pot. She refilled her cup and then cruises as she spoke. We didn't know if we were walking into a heart attack, a stroke, or an overdose. It turned out to be the last. The patient was slumped in an oversized desk chair. There were a few people in the office trying to arouse him. They were calling his name, tapping his cheek. He was in that space, you know, the one between conscious and unconscious. Tim moved the co-workers out of the office while I examined Mr. Wiesman. He was doing the nod all right. You know what I mean. That vacant head bob drug users do in response to every question. We didn't know what he had done. I suspected cocaine and fentanyl, Tim said. His assistant, a guy named Jude, said that Wiesman had been running a meeting just 20 minutes before, going like 100 miles an hour. No one could keep up with him. Sometime later, Jude went into Wisman's office and found him slumped in his chair. When he couldn't get a coherent response, he called 911. Cocaine and fentanyl will rev a guy up and then send him into a tailspin. 
Tim shared his suspicions with me, Diana said, and I administered a dose of Narcan. It wouldn't have an effect on cocaine, if that's what he'd taken, but it would counteract any opioid. After a minute, the patient came around enough to transfer him to a stretcher. Everything seemed to be routine until we got into the ambulance. I was in the back with the patient while Tim drove. Standard protocol for a case like that. But almost as soon as we pulled away, he became violent. One minute, he was lying there. The next, he was grabbing my arms. Diana stretched her arms out, showing bruises up her forearms. He thought we were kidnapping him or something. He was strapped in, but he still got me a few times. She tilted her head to show a light bruise on her jaw. I was practically on top of him, holding him down, yelling at Tim to get us to the hospital. I've never driven so fast, Tim said. Diana shook her head. Wasn't fast enough. Wisman seized, going rock solid for, I don't know, five seconds, ten. It felt longer, but you know how that is. I backed off of him, and he seemed to be coming out of it, but then he just kept right on going. He coded. I started CPR and continued until the ER staff took over. We heard they pronounced him dead. Tim put a hand on Diana's bruised arm. I don't know what else we could have done. I could have used the second dose of Narcan, she said. He responded so well to the first dose, and there wasn't a reason to dose him again. I mean, at least I didn't think so. You have to go with your gut, Yablonsky said. We have to believe in our gut and our training, or we'll spend our lives second-guessing ourselves. You don't know what else was going on, Cruz said. Maybe there was more in the drug than cocaine and fentanyl. Maybe he was allergic. Maybe he had a heart condition. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Was there anything else noteworthy? The assistant Jude was a ghost. He was so pale, Tim said. He said and did all the right things, but it didn't feel real. One of the other lawyers came in while Diana was working on the patient. Remember him? The old guy, Diana asked, waiting for Tim's nod. He asked how Wisman was, and when I said things looked good, he said, too bad. Cruz's phone chimed with a push notification. He showed it to Yablonsky. Looks like the Emmy's report is ready. He wants to see us. Maybe we'll learn something about Mr. Wisman's recreational habits. Thank you both for your time. Diana Rose with Cruz and Yablonsky. No problem, detectives. Anything we can do to help. Out of curiosity, Tim said, walking them through the door into the large garage. What brought you here? It's not often we get a call on a routine OD. His wife doesn't think it's routine, Cruz said. He was a high-end lawyer, not a street-corner junkie. She w isn't buying that her husband was getting his nose dirty. Do you mind if I take a look in the ambulance? Cruz made it a question, but had already opened the back door and was climbing in. Tim looked at Diana and shrugged. Sure thing, Cruz. Just so you know, that ambulance has been on a dozen runs since Wisman. I get it, Cruz said. It's just I haven't been in the back of one of these when I haven't been unconscious or concentrating on the person on the stretcher. He stood tall, his head a mere inch from the ceiling. Not as big as they look from the outside, are they? There's a lot of gear in there, Diana said. This baby cost the city over a quarter of a million dollars. Cruz looked around, gauging the space. There was a place for everything, and everything was in its place. The floor's clean enough to eat off of, he said. Yablonsky choked on the idea. I gotta get you out more, Cruzy. Cruz ignored him. Help me understand, Diana. What were you doing for Wisman while he was in transit? Diana rested her hip on the bumper. Like I said, he was reacting well to the Narcan, so I was largely monitoring him. 
blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen levels. With the opioid in check, he was going to have to ride out the coke. While we were loading him, if you told me he was going to be DOA, I would have called you a sucker. Westman was sick, but he wasn't dying. I don't know what kind of drug he did, but I pray to God there isn't more of it out on the street. I hear you, Yablonski said. We all hear you. The suit and the body that wore it. University Circle was one of Cleveland's centers of culture, art, and learning. The real estate inside a knot of roads was shared by the Cleveland Clinic, John Hay High School, Cleveland School of Arts, and the Cuyahoga County Medical Examiner's Office. Cruz and Yablonski parked in the fenced-off lot that had and had an impromptu meeting with the Emmy report author. Pathologist Noel Chambers pulled out the drawer holding Wisman's body. He died of an overdose of cocaine and fentanyl, he said. A massive overdose. Enough to kill an elephant. Yablonski whistled. Chambers rolled his eyes. Not literally, but far more than an experienced user would take. Cruz studied the corpse of the man who, even in death, looked ready to walk into a courtroom. So he was an experienced, Yablonski said. His wife suspects he was murdered, poisoned. Well, she's wrong and she's right. Chambers exposed Wisman's forearm. He was a regular user. He was careful, I'll give him that. His wife wouldn't know what to look for, but I do. His finger highlighted small marks in the natural folds of Weissman's elbow. Okay, so his wife was wrong about him using, Cruz said. Then what was she right about? Oh, that he was murdered, Chambers said. I don't know if it will hold up legally, but something weird went on here. The fingers of his left hand were caked in white powder. We aren't talking trace. It was like he dragged his fingers through powdered sugar. I also found the same powder inside of his nasal passages. Tax showed it was the same drug as in his system. Chambers turned the arm back over. He was held down or, or tied down. This bruising happened shortly before his death. It's on both arms, heavier on the left. The paramedic said she restrained him, Yablonski shared. He was combative to the point of giving her a bruised jaw. With the amount of cocaine and adrenaline in his system, I'd believe that. Chambers pulled the sheet back over Wisman. I've seen a lot of overdoses in my day, but this one is weird. The official cause of death is acute coronary syndrome resulting from cocaine toxicity. Whether it was self-induced, he pushed Westman back into the cooler. I vote for no. It took some legwork, but Cruz and Yablonski put their hands on Westman's personal effects. They were at the hospital awaiting the decision on if the criminal element would turn the effects into evidence. Cruz removed the stack of folded clothes using gloved hands and began his inspection. Yablonski had the shoes and smaller items at the bottom of the body. The bottom of the box. I've never seen a watch this nice. I think I know what I want for Christmas, he said. You think the watch is nice? Check out this shirt. Cruz draped the white button down over the back of the chair. I bet it cost more than four of mine. It's clean. Yablonski pulled cufflinks out of the bottom of the corner box. We definitely got into the wrong line of work. Cruz went to the pants. Clean here, too. Nice shoes, Yablonski said. Not my style, but nice. 
Using the chair back again, Cruz held out the coat and examined it. Potential residue in the left pocket. Shine a light in here for me. Yablonsky obliged, taking a look himself. Who puts coke in a coat pocket? Maybe the baggie was lost in transit? Cruz took a look at the right pocket. This one's clean. We'll collect the sample and process it. Even if Mrs. Wisman's wrong about her husband's drug use, it might be enough to connect his dealer to the dead body. Yablonsky retrieved a trace sample kit. That's what I love about you, Cruzy. You're an optimist. Where to next? The doors opened on the 29th floor, and Cruz and Yablonsky were wowed. It wasn't the gray and beige carpet that caused the detectives to stutter step. It was the large black metal W.O.W. hanging on the wall opposite the elevators. Waterman, Ulcer, and Wiesman, attorneys at law. To the right were heavy oak double doors, large and imposing. Yablonsky led the way through the door and into the leather-furnished lobby. Good afternoon, said a middle-aged woman sitting behind the nameplate Terry Phillips. Can I help you? Detectives Yablonsky and De La Cruz, Yablonsky said, showing his credentials. We're looking into David Wisman's death. I see, Mrs. Phillips said, her fingers tapping on the keyboard. Let me call Ms. Mr. Oltzer for you. That's fine, Yablonsky said. While we're waiting, tell me how long you've worked here. Well, I've been worth the firm since it was founded six years ago, she said, her days darting to the screen. I've known Mr. Wisman for over 10 years. Can you tell us what he was like, Cruz said? Help us get to know him. Mrs. Phillips took a deep breath. I mean, David was very sharp, and he had a never-ending energy supply. When Tony and Nathan, that's Mr. Waterman and Mr. Oltzer, decided to leave their last firm, David was the only associate they took with them. Have you noticed any changes in Mr. Wisman over the years? Yablonsky asked. The receptionist shifted uncomfortably. It's been over 10 years. Everyone changes. She thought, hesitated, and then shook her head. I think you should talk to Mr. Ultzer. He's just finished a call. Would you like any tea or water? The scene of what might have been a crime. A few minutes later, Cruz and Yablonsky were seated in a small conference room with an expansive view of Public Square. Cruz stirred a second sugar into his coffee as an older man entered the room. In his late 60s, Nathan Oltzler was a large square man with a sour expression. Gentlemen, I understand you're investigating the unfortunate death of my partner, David Wisman. His voice was a low bass, nearly monotone, and gave the impression of complete authority. Cruz and Yablonsky rose, introducing themselves and showing credentials. Mrs. Wisman suspects her husband's death was neither an accident nor by his own hand, Cruz said. More like, she hopes, Ulcer said. Have you met the woman? She lives under the illusion that her husband was perfect. Really, she wouldn't tolerate anything less. Cruz logged the flurry of thoughts flooding his brain about the wife to focus on the victim. You weren't under the same illusion, though. In what way wasn't Mr. Wissman perfect? Oetzler, standing still, his fists deep in his pockets, said, His competitive nature had turned ruthless. 
He wrote his associates to the breakpoint, did the same to our clients. He was on thin ice with three judges, and then there was his coke habit. He used petty cash to hide it from his wife. Our office manager discovered it last week and brought it to me. He embezzled funds, Cruz said. What did you do? It's hardly embezzling, Oetzler said grumpily. He's a partner in this firm. Still, I directed accounting to take it out of his paycheck. I told him not to do it again and to get help for his problem. How much did he take, Yablonsky asked. And how did he respond to your suggestion? It totaled 3000 by the time he was caught. And as to how he responded to my order, he apologized and he said it wouldn't happen again. In other words, Yablonsky said, he wasn't warm to the idea of getting help. No, Watzler said. He denied he had a problem. With this line at dead end, Cruz took the conversation in a different direction. Tell us what happened Tuesday afternoon. Do you mind if we sit? It's easier to take notes. I suppose, the older man said gruffly. David led a strategy session on a new case for one of his clients. There were four or five of us in the meeting, including Jude, David's admin. David was excited, energetic as he facilitated the session. His mind, well, it was working at light speed, thinking out probable outcomes while the rest of us were still digesting the argument. We wrapped up somewhere around two. I took a phone call and, and then I went to his office. After the words we had over the loan, I felt I needed him to know how well he ran the meeting. I found him at his desk, engrossed in his computer. I said my piece and then went back to my office. Describe his demeanor, Yablonsky said. Otzler thought before speaking. Well, well, he was calmer than he had been before. Relaxed, even. Was he wearing his suit coat, Cruz asked. No, Otzler said without hesitation. It was hanging from a hanger on his coat tree, just like always. Cruz wasn't expecting the answer. Perhaps Swissman had been wearing the coat when he did the coke before going to his office. It was likely, he decided, since it sounded as though Wisman had been feeling the drug's effect during the meeting. Aside from taking the uh, loan from petty cash, had Mr. Wisman had any other trouble recently? Cruz asked. Otzler's frown deepened. Yes, I'm afraid. His admin, Jude, was threatening to file an EEOC complaint against David. I advised him not to and to give me a chance to resolve it or to reassign him to another attorney. The issue is, the truth is, Jude's issue with David has nothing to do with Jude's LGBTQ plus status. I was and am confident that the complaint would have led to nothing but bad press. And then over the holidays, David was in a car accident. His car was totaled, but he walked away. The same couldn't be said for the woman in the other car. I understand she sustained significant injuries. He had to appear before an arbiter last week. Was he sober at the time of the accident? Cruz asked. Otzler raised his chin. I have no knowledge, one way or the other. I wasn't there. But you were getting sick of the distractions Wisman caused, Cruz said. That's why you were disappointed when the paramedics said he would recover. Otzler clenched his teeth, eyes blazing at Cruz. I don't care to comment on such a crude statement. If there's nothing else, I'll show you to David's office. I expect you'll want to see it. Cruz and Yablonski followed Osler through the high-ceilinged hallway to an office in the northeast corner with David Wiesman's name in bold black letters. 
Osler opened the door wide and then stepped back to allow them to enter. No one has used it, he said, but likely the cleaning crew's been in here. Cruz went to the old-fashioned coat tree standing in the corner. Is this where his suit coat hung? Yes, Osler said. Like the rest of us, he wore it in and out every day. Cruz squatted down, examining the carpet for evidence of residue. Even in between the fires, deep down, it was clean. Yablonsky was at the desk, searching the drawers. Looking back, when do you think he started using? Otzler relaxed his guard for the first time, scratching his head. Last summer, maybe? We were caught up in a very large corporate case, and no one was getting enough sleep. We had a company picnic for Memorial Day. David fell asleep in the lawn chair. Come 4th of July, he was complaining because no one wanted to stay for fireworks. Did anything else change around then, Cruz asked. Office personnel, his relationship with his wife, anything. Not that I know. I suggest you talk to Jude. He's been with David for three years. I'll get him. With that, Osler left the office. Did you find anything in the desk, Cruz asked. Yablonsky readied a sample kit. Possible residue in the bottom drawer, along with five Mars bars. Mars bars, Cruz said. They still make those? A hostile work environment. Otzler came back in the door, a tall man behind him. Detectives, this is Jude Tidemore, David's administrative assistant. Jude, these are the detectives, De La Cruz and Yablonski. Jude Tidemore was a striking man, one who could be an actor or a model. What can I do for you, gentlemen? Cruz started the conversation. Can you tell us what happened Tuesday afternoon? Jude's description of the events followed Otzler's up to the point the meeting broke up. I had a number of assignments that were ASAP, he said. I returned to my desk and began to work. Knowing David's preference to have the work as it was finished, I came into his office about an hour later with the preliminary results of one of the searches. He was sitting in his chair, just like you are, detective, but his chin was down. Initially, I thought he'd fallen asleep sitting up. I'd already spoken and was apologizing for waking him, and then I realized something wasn't right. I called his name and he nodded, like he heard me, but he didn't respond when I asked if he was all right. Uh, eventually, I realized something was very wrong and I called 911. You knew about his drug use? Yablonski asked. I suspected, Jude corrected. I didn't know. I have a cousin who's a cokehead. There were similarities. You suspected he was overdosing, Cruz said, using Jude's choice of words. Jude nodded. Something wasn't right, and he needed more help than I could give him. I called 911, and I stayed with him until the paramedics arrived. Did you go through his desk or office while you waited, Cruz asked. No, Jude said. Why would I do that? Cruz ignored the question and asked another. Do you know where he kept his supply? Jude shook his head. I never saw him do any drug. If I suspected, it was because of his erratic behavior, not because of anything I witnessed. He turned to Otzler. I had no proof. No one would have believed me. Otzler looked uncomfortable. They would have believed you, Lubonsky said, poking the sore spot. They just wouldn't have done anything about it. The paramedics arrived, Cruz said, encouraging the witness to continue. Jude took the hint. 
The paramedics arrived, he said, and they seemed to recognize what was happening. The woman, the one in charge, she gave him some medicine and like, squirted it up his nose. Then her partner searched the office for the drugs David took. He said it would help at the hospital. Did he find it? Cruz asked. I don't know, Juice said. David was coming too, and I helped him move to the stretcher they had brought. The male paramedic took David's coat from the tree, and David started obsessing, saying it was his. I agreed. I mean, we all agreed it was his, but he wouldn't hear it. He was still rambling about it when they took him away, even though it was on his lap. And that's the last time I saw David. Thank you, Cruz said. Was uh, Mr. Wisman, was he left-handed, right? No, he was right-handed, Jude said. Does that matter? You never know what ends up mattering, Cruz said. You were going to file a complaint against Mr. Wisman? Why? Jude's gaze snapped to Otzler. The old man's expression didn't change. Jude took a breath. Feel part of my French. David had become an asshole, and I was his favorite target. I had enough, plain and simple. Then why didn't you quit, Yablonski? Why stay? Why should I quit? Jude's voice raised in a show of temper aimed at Otzler. I didn't do anything wrong. I am a professional, just like everyone else working here. He was the one making a hostile work env environment. He was the one at fault, not me. The problem seems to have been remedied, Otzler said. Are you finished here, detectives? One more item for Mr. Tidemore. Yablonski held up a fistful of chocolate. Is there a story behind the Mars bars? Penny Candies and Other Lies A small store selling everything a person might need to survive a day in corporate America was tucked away in the corner of the first floor. It wasn't seedy with a polished marble floor, but it was dark and shadowy and gave the impression of secrecy. Paco Lopez rang up the order for a woman in five-inch heels. She flirted, he flirted, she paid, he kept the change. It obviously wasn't a first for either. I got this, Yablonski whispered to Cruz, followed my lead. Then he sauntered into the small store, waiting until the woman exited before he spoke. It's been a long time, Paquito. Remember me? Diablo Blanco, Paco said, stepping away from the counter. I'm straight. Yeah, you're a regular arrow, Yablonski said. Tell me about David Wisman. Paco put on a good, confused expression. Who? I don't know anyone with that name. Mr. Mars Bars, Jablonski said, holding up an evidence bag containing five. He had a taste for them, just like he had a taste for cocaine. What do you know about that? Nada, nothing, Paco said, waving his hands back and forth. Funny thing is, Jablonski said, his voice soft, David Wiesman developed a taste for Coke the same time he started binging on Mars bars. When did you start working here, Paco? In May, he said, but that is all. All? All what, Yablonski asked. Mars bars is all. Weissman liked his chocolate, Paco said adamantly. Weissman is dead, Paco. He OD'd on dirty Coke, Yablonski said. Did you sell him that shit? Paco shook his head chocolate and sometimes Mountain Dew. Yabonski leaned in and got ugly. Who else did you sell Mars bars and Mountain Dew to? Huh, Paco? 
Many customers, Paco said, keeping his cool. It's a big building. Yablonsky nodded as if accepting the answer. So if I search this place, all I would find is chocolate? Paco lifted his chin as if he suddenly remembered he had a spine. You have a warrant? No? Bye-bye, Diablo Blanco. A Broken Story Cleveland's West Park neighborhood wasn't very different from Cruz's own. A good, solid, middle-class neighborhood, the yards were small but well cared for. The houses were green and lush with summer. Actually, the yards were green and lush with summer. Cruz and Yablonski stood in the living room of Mrs. Venus McManus. On the tall side for a woman, she wore her blonde hair cropped at the shoulders. With hands on both sides of the armchair, she gingerly lowered herself into the cushion. The accident shattered my pelvis, she said. I think I have more steel than bone at the moment. You said you were here about Wisman? What do you want from me? Mr. Wisman is dead, Mrs. McManus. Cruz watched her response, knowing Yablonski was doing the same. The woman simply blinked. When she didn't speak, Cruz prompted her. You and he were in an accident recently. No, she said sharply. I was the victim of the crash he caused. He left the scene, but I got his plate number. He's a lawyer and he knew how to manipulate the system, so he got a slap on the wrist while I got four weeks in traction, pain meds three times a day, and a wheelchair for the rough days. Cruz and Yablonski had read the reports. Wisman and McManus had collided. Wisman's SUV was the hammer crashing into her fiesta's party. He had left the scene. Yablonski speculated it was a calculated decision. The penalty for leaving the scene for the first-time offender was much lighter than a penalty for driving hyped up on coke. Cruz began circling the room, looking at the pictures of Venus McManus's world. Venus is an unusual name, he said. It was, until Venus Williams made us all cool, she said. If only she'd been smashing tennis balls when I was in school, no one would have teased me. All of my sisters are named after Roman goddesses, but I got it worst. Diana, Flora, Minerva, and me, Venus, the goddess of love and beauty. I mean, Diana's a normal name. Flora is pretty, and Minerva shortens hers to Minnie. Then there's me. You think you've got it bad, Cruz said. My name is Jesus de la Cruz, Jesus of the Cross. No pressure there. What do you do for a living, Mrs. McManus? She smiled with him. Call me Venus. I'm a surgical nurse. I'm on medical leave, indefinitely thanks to him. Do you keep a first aid kit at home, Yablonski asked. Medical supplies? Some, she said, her eyes narrowing wearily. What are you getting at? Yablonski asked straight out. Where were you on Tuesday? Where was... Are you asking me for an alibi? Venus's voice rose an octave. First the guy breaks me in half and now I'm accused of killing him? Unbelievable. Not accused, Yablonski said calmly. We're collecting facts and that is one of the facts we need. Well, you can cross me off your list, Venus leaned forward. I didn't want Wisman dead. I wanted him to suffer the way I'm suffering. Dead men don't lie in bed at night because the pain won't let you sleep. Dead men don't stare at stupid daytime television because they can't work because standing for more than 15 minutes feels like somebody took a blowtorch to their abdomen. However he died, 
I didn't have a thing to do with it. Yablonsky took a framed picture off his shelf and handed it to Yablonsky. You and your sisters, you're all nurses? We're all in the medical field, Vina said, holding out her hand for the picture. Flora's a physical therapist, Diana paramedic, Minerva dental hygienist. What of it? Loose Ends and Other Stragglers By silent agreement, Cruz and Yablonski swung by the firehouse before returning to headquarters. They found Diana and Tim in the back of the ambulance, cleaning it. Hot night for a run, Yablonski said, as they approached. Too hot, Diana said. It was a case of heat stroke and dehydration. Luckily, the wife called in time. Tim shook his head as he worked. Men rarely call. It doesn't make our gender look good that they'd rather be dead than ask for help. Finished with the requisite small talk, Cruz opened the conversation. Diana, we paid a visit to your sister today, Venus McManus. Is there a reason you didn't disclose that your patient was the man involved in your sister's accident? Diana straightened up, tossing her hair over her shoulder. It was irrelevant. I didn't know who he was until the next day. I took Venus out for lunch and told her about the run. I was still worked up about the way he died and needed to talk about it. She recognized the name. Not you, Cruz asked. Not until she put it together, Diana said. I never met him, never seen him, couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. Honestly, I'm glad I didn't know who he was. Because, again, being honest, I don't know if I would have worked on him. Tim gave her shoulder a light squeeze. You would have. You're the better person. She gave him a small smile before turning back to Cruz. I did lie about one thing. I'm not tore up about him dying. Cleveland is better off without him. Back in the car, Cruz looked at Yablonski. One more interview to do. I know, but then I want some dinner. Something good, Yablonski said. Call Aurora and see if she wants to meet us. Let's pay the visit first, Cruz said. They drove west in the thinning rush hour traffic. Who is Paco the Candyman? Oh, he's a lower level pusher with Venezuelan ties, Jablonski said. When I get into the office tomorrow, I'll see what we have on him in his little store. I gotta admit, it's better than standing on a street corner and put you front and center to clients. Cruz thought about it. Why would he have killed Wisman? Maybe he threatened to turn him in? Maybe, Yablonski said. Even if Paco sold him bad shit, he didn't shove it up his nose. Either Wisman didn't know what he was doing, or, Cruz picked up the thought, whoever drugged him didn't know what they were doing. We're here. The Wismans lived in a new subdivision where all the houses were big and coordinated. The door was opened by a young girl. Who are you? We're policemen, Cruz said. Is your mommy home? Julia? A woman's voice called. Julia, where are you? Christine Wisman came around the corner. Detectives, what are you doing here? Cruz kept his voice gentle. We have a few questions, ma'am. Is there someplace private we can talk? Do we have to do this now? She put her daughter on her hip. It would be best, Jablonski said. Just a few details to clean up. All right, let me start a movie for the kids. Wait in the dining room. She pointed with her chin to a hallway. Cruz and Jablonski heard the flurry of questions not being answered, and then the start of a blockbuster movie. They were seated on thick padded chairs when their hostess entered. Now what is this about? She asked as she sat. Have you found who killed my husband? When she sat, 
Cruz broke the news that her husband had indeed been using cocaine, and there had been trouble at work because of it. Cruz saw it, and Yublansky saw it too. Christine Wiesman? She knew. Did he hit you? Yablonsky asked softly. Once, she said in a whisper, but it was an accident. I tried to get him to stay home, and, and he pushed me away. Yablonsky reached across the table. You knew he was using. No, I mean, not really, she said sadly. He, he emptied our savings account. He said it was for an investment, but when I asked for details, he, he just got angry. Really, he wouldn't have left me. He loved his children. He wouldn't have killed himself. Somebody did that to him. Cruz nodded. Mrs. Wiesman, tell me, if your husband's death is ruled a suicide, will the insurance pay out? No, she said, chin lifted defiantly. No, it will not. You need one more note. <laughs> there you go. All right, we reached the deliberation. You're leaving me hanging there, Jack. You did not resolve that phrase. I'm going to be honest with you. I lost track of it. I thought that was the resolve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're at the deliberation. Montoya has dumped a messy one in Cruz's and Yablonsky's lap. So David Wisman was not the angel he was said to be, and plenty around him had reason to be happier with his exit. So here's the characters in the order of their appearance. We have Christine Wisman, the perfect widow of the perfect husband. We have Diana Mahathy, the paramedic who took one on the jaw she tried to save Wisman's life. Tim Jackson, the EMT partner who broke every traffic rule trying to get Wisman to the hospital. Nathan Osler, the law partner who is really getting tired of cleaning up after his partner. Jude Tidemore, the assistant who is fed up with the toxic work environment. Paco Lopez, purveyor of chocolate and other tasty treats. And Venus McManus, the woman severely injured in the accident that Wisman walked away from. All right. Wait, you want the clues or you want to lodge your no, guess no, no. now? First of all, I want to say this story is unrealistic. The lawyers wouldn't have talked that much. They're <laughs> lawyers. They would have. The second you said, oh, he just starts talking. I'm like, what are you? No, he wouldn't do that. It's a short story. I got 8,000 words to get it all on. I couldn't have I, dealt with everything. I knew why you did it. I knew that it wasn't. But I was just thinking like, they would never do that. They would okay, never do they that. would never do that. But I needed them to. I know. <laughs> Especially so, the grumpy old guy. Uh -huh. He just would have said nothing. But <laughs> They sounded more lawyerish at the end of the interview where they were just kind of like, no, be gone. I don't have to answer these questions kind of thing. And I was like, okay, that's what they would do. I really noticed as I started watching TV since we've been writing these, how people exit scenes. It's like, can mm -hmm. I go now? It's like, well, no, you're in the middle of questioning. I'm like, oh, they need to end the scene. <laughs> so... Yeah. Can we be done now? <laughs> um, you, you can, want the clues? You can say the clues. Okay. Here's the clues as presented. Weissman began doing cocaine about the same time he began binging Mars bars. He overdosed in his office. He was treated with and responded to Narcan. He was lucid when he was taken out of the law office. His primary concern was for his coat. Weissman died of a massive overdose of cocaine laced with fentanyl. Residue was found on his left hand and in the left pocket of his suit coat. Weissman was right-handed. Christine Weissman claims her husband was worth more to her alive than dead because the insurance wouldn't pay out if it was a uh, suicide. Diana Mahathy 
claims not to have known that Weissman was the man who injured her sister. She did the best she could, but she wasn't sad that she failed. Tim Jackson claims the same as his partner. He was doing his job. Nathan Otzler, despite him talking, wouldn't actually talk about it. Um, Jude Tidemore claimed he just wanted respect. He didn't want his boss dead. Paco Lopez claims he only knows about candy bars and Mountain Dew. And then Venus McManus claims that she wanted the man to suffer, not die. So here's the thing. I believe Venus and Diana are innocent for the sole fact of they seem too obvious. However, the weird relationship that Diana and Tim had, the the way they talk to each other is just kind of creepy. And like, uh, <laughs> you two are coworkers. Why are you talking about each other like you're in some like soap opera? Like, what huh. is happening? Boy, that's funny. Okay. I don't know. If, I don't know if you caught on to that because i know you wrote it i did not but get like to it. It was <laughs> he's like it's okay man you did the best you could and that's all we can do i'm like what are you talking about are you an adult are you in the high school musical what is happening right now you're in oklahoma <laughs> what is what is this so i for a large i immediately thought it was diana okay especially after i the reason i don't think it's her is because after venus said that Diana was her sister, I was like, oh, now it's too obvious. It can't be her. You have gamed these before and been wrong. I know. I, I have issues with that. <laughs> so it's because I expect these to be more intricate, and then it's like, oh, I overthought it. <laughs> it, it really was this. It wasn't. It was like, anyway. So, um, so who are you putting your money on? Your invisible money. Well, Tim feels Tim too dumb. Tim's too dumb. Talking to you now and realizing that that was an accident, <laughs> I realize, okay, it might not be Tim. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it was Tim, if they were like secretly in love or whatever, and yeah. Tim decided to do it, or if Tim was in love with Venus. I don't know, that wouldn't make sense. Uh, I don't think there's any of the lawyers. They don't seem stupid enough to do that kind of thing, and I don't think it's Paolo. Is that his Paco. name? Paco. Paco. Paco's Tacos. I don't think it's him because... He's just not a significant enough character. You know, yep. he's he's clearly the dealer, but... Yep. Okay. Um, so your money's on Tim. I guess my money's on Tim. All right. All right, everybody. It's time to lodge your own. You can uh, comment in whatever app you're listening through on Jack's comments on who did it. And, uh, yeah, let's start a little dialogue here. As we start, no blood, no foul. Two days later, Cruz sat at his desk, Yablonsky across from him, going over the lab reports that had come in. The residue on the suit coat was the same substance found in David Weissman's nostrils and in his bloodstream. The cocaine had indeed been cut with fentanyl. That explains the high high and the low lows, Yablonsky said. The cocaine would have revved Weissman up, giving him the kind of energy the witnesses described in the meeting, and when he crashed, the opioid would have dragged him down. The head nod, a classic symptom. As well as responding to the Narcan, Cruz said, but something in the timeline doesn't make sense. Follow my thinking here. I'm David Wisman. I have a big meeting this afternoon. This is a major case for a major client, and I'm leading it. I want to be at the top of my game. Cruz nodded. So you do a line of coke. Naturally, Cruz said, I'm not a rookie, meaning I've taken it 
early enough that the high hits before the meeting starts and lasts throughout. After I go back to my office, I'm still supercharged. Kiplansky took over. But soon, I'm not feeling so high. I'm feeling mellow, chill, like I've never felt before because this is the first time my coke was not pure grade. So, do I do another line of coke? Cruz propped his elbows on a desk. See, this is where it starts to fall apart. Maybe he did save his supply in his suit coat. Maybe, it, maybe he did it. He cut a line, put the bag back in his pocket, and then sat down waiting to start flying again. Only the opioid had a head start on the coke. Enter Jude, the law assistant. But say Weisman didn't get back out of his chair. He's at his desk when he comes down and he doesn't realize the signs. He wouldn't be the first, Jablonski said. Okay, he's in his big fancy chair and his head is back. You saw the corner office layout. No one could go in without Jude noticing. Jude could have gone in, helped the boss to another snortful and gone out without raising an, an eyebrow. But, Cruz countered, why go back in, pretend to find Wisman and call 911? If he wanted to legitimize his complaint against Wisman, wouldn't it have been better to have someone else, someone like Otzler, find him? You know what bothers me, Yablonski asked? Wisman had responded to the Narcan. If he had more in his system than the dose would counteract, he wouldn't have come around. But he did. What changed between the time Wisman left the office and the arrival at the hospital? Nothing, Cruz said. He was in the ambulance the whole time. The two stared at each other. How about this, Cruz began. Tim and Diana respond as they reported, treating Wisman for the fentanyl. Tim finds the coke. Maybe it was in the coat pocket, maybe it was in the desk drawer. Regardless, he finds it. Then, Diana recognizes Wisman. This is the SOB who ran into Venus, she tells Tim. Wisman is coming around. He sees the pair and, more importantly, he sees his coke. That's mine, Yablonski repeated. He wasn't talking about the coat. Cruz shrugged. No, I mean, according to Jude, he kept repeating the phase the phrase after the coat was on his lap. What if he saw Tim or Diana pocket the drug? Yablonski raised his eyebrows and then nodded. It works. They would have emptied the office of people to work. It was a big office, but too small to maneuver the stretcher and work on Wisman. They get Wisman into the ambulance and head toward the hospital. That's when one of them gives him another hit. A sledgehammer-sized hit, Cruz said. The wounds on Wisman and Diana, she said he became violent. Maybe he knew what she was doing, and he fought back. How would she have forced him to snort it, Yablonski wondered out loud. I don't think she could, Cruz said. How would you do it? Me, Cruzy? I would inject him, Yablonski froze. Did the Emmy find any unaccounted for punctures? Cruz picked up his phone. I think we need to ask. That evening, Cruz and Yablonski went to the home of Diana Mahathy. They found her house dark. They gambled and drove to the home of Venus McManus, her sister. Here, the lights were on. Cruz rang the security-enabled doorbell and then stood back with Yablonski and waited. Diana opened the door, the smile on her face slipping at the sight of them. She didn't invite them in, instead using her body to keep them out. Detectives, this is a surprise. Is this about Wisman? What do you want with my sister? 
Can we go in and talk? Yablonsky asked. It's a little busy out here for a conversation. Diana tilted her head and looked him straight in the eyes. Unless you're going to tell her that his estate wants to settle the suit, I don't think there's much to talk about. Diana, who's there? Her sister called. It's the detectives who are investigating Wisman's death, she answered. Why are they here? Venus asked. That's just what I asked, she said to her sister, and then turned back to Cruz and Yablonsky. Why are you here? We just want to talk, Cruz said. Then he raised his voice. We just want to talk, Mrs. McBanus. It'll just take a few minutes. Diana, let them in, Venus ordered. It's too hot to stand there with the door open. Reluctantly, Diana stepped back to let Cruz and Yablonsky in. I thought we were friends, Yablonsky said as he passed Diana. What's with the cold shoulder? She shook her head. Sorry, I'm just protective of my sister since the accident. She doesn't need any more bad news. Yablonsky gave her his best smile. How do you know we're bad news? Diana closed the front door. Two detectives show up at her door after hours. What could be good about it? Venus was sitting in the same armchair as when they had visited. You don't need to mother me, Diana. I already have one of those. What can I do for you, detectives? Actually, it's Diana we need to talk to, Cruz said. We need to follow up on a few items. Diana looked surprised. Me? And it couldn't wait until I was working? I guess not if you're here. What can I tell you? Cruz made a show of pulling out his notebook. When did you realize David Wisman, your patient, was the same man involved in your sister's accident? It wasn't until the next day, Diana said. Venus reminded me of his name. That's true, Venus said. Diana was here on her off day, and she told me about the DOA. I couldn't believe it when she said the name. We went onto the law firm's webpage to look at the picture, and there he was, my personal nightmare. Cruz scribbled a note, creating time for him to process. He and Yablonsky hadn't expected the sister to verify the story. Diana, did Tim find Wisman's cocaine? No, she said. He looked for it to help with treatment at the hospital, but he didn't find it. You didn't search the suit coat, Yablonsky asked. I didn't search anything, she said. My eyes were on the patient. Of course, Cruz said. When you had him in the back of the ambul ambulance, did you give him any medications or IV? She shook her head. He was recovering. There was no medical reason. Cruz believed that. So if we ask the medical examiner, they aren't going to find any puncture wounds on Wisman? Well, I have no idea what they would find. Diana crossed her arms and narrowed her eyes. What are you implying? Wisman was recovering when he left the law office, Jablonski said, and he was dead at the hospital. What happened in the back of the ambulance in between? I told you, she said. He became agitated, then violent, then he coded. Whatever, air quote, happened, it was all on him. Did you administer a lethal dose of cocaine laced with fentanyl? Cruz asked. Venus gasped. Diana glowered. I did not. I attended to the dirty rat like he was someone worth saving. Which he wasn't, Yablonsky said, encouraging her along. But I didn't know that at the time, Diana snapped. It doesn't matter what I would have done if I knew who he was. I didn't. I did my job start to finish. Weissman died because of what he did, pure and simple. Fifteen minutes later, Cruz started the car, blasting the cold air. You think I should talk to Darcy, he asked, referring to their friend, the county prosecutor. Yablonsky shrugged. 
there's no evidence. Yemi couldn't find a wound. We got no syringe, no fingerprints, nothing that can be explained. I mean, I wouldn't take the case. The odds suck. He was right-handed, Cruz said. The residue was on his left hand, the side closest to the paramedic. Yablonski nodded. Yep, yes he was. And that's where it ends. That's the end of the darn story. That's the end of the darn story. Why would you do that to me, Mom? (laughs) So, Diana did it. Uh Uh-huh, clearly. With Tim supporting her. Uh Uh-huh. But she, unlike everybody ever on a TV show, doesn't ever admit it. And so, as Jablonski says, they don't have anything to prosecute her. They know. She knows they know. But she gets away with it. She gets away with it. I hate it when you make stories that's supposed to teach you a lesson of, well, they don't always win. It's like that (laughs) annoying Law and Order episode where it's like, oh, I guess she just gets away with it. Well, I didn't do that because of that. Uh, So Diana Mahathy is a real person. She is my nail tech who I tell a lot of stories to. (laughs) And she wanted to be in a story. And I'm like, well, who do you want to be? She's like, I want to be a paramedic. And so I was thinking of this story. And so I wrote it around Diana. And as silly as it sounds, because she is a real person, even though she is not a paramedic in Cleveland, I I couldn't do it. I couldn't let her get caught. So I, it was an extra challenge for me to write it in a way that Cruz and Yablonski would know that she did it, but she'd get away with it. Wow. That's, that's cheating, Mom. It's not cheating. It's cheating. It's not cheating. So you see the title, Finding Fault was that Wisman was at fault for the accident that hurt her sister. But you couldn't figure out how to find evidence for it. Well, you can't find fault for her. So, yeah, she, uh, since the court wouldn't find fault and hold him accountable, she did. And, yeah, Tim was at least an accessory. He did find the coke. Mm -hmm. So I'm not so sure that this was, like, premedicated, (laughs) premeditated (laughs) medication. But yeah, it was a it was a, a tag team effort, but she did it. All right. Well, I hate this. Anyway, it's a great story. I love how it was written. I hate the lawyers. They're stupid. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, other than the lawyers, this is this is pretty cool. So go ahead and comment. You can tell me how stupid the story was. <laughs> well, I thought I thought other than the um, just some of the dialogue. Other than that, it was like. I mean, maybe it's partially that I get the wrong impression from TV shows, but it's like the way they would like talk and joke. I'm like, you're at a crime scene, man. <laughs> well, I think the way they talk and joke, there is a gallows humor. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I think that part isn't too far off. I will say that it sounds different in my head when I hear these characters' voices yeah. versus when I'm trying to read it with one voice. Even when I try to change my voice, I'm, I'm just not good at that yet so there's so many times i'm like boy i i need to learn how to do some inflection differently but tim and diana were just weird well i didn't mean to make them weird he has a little bit of hero worshiping going on and he maybe does. that's and what it was just like what are, are you sucking up to her right now do you have a thing for her and that isn't explained so it's just like I don't know. I just, I, that's why I was like, it's got to be him. There's when we do weird. these, there's so many times when I write these, I have to start getting your input early because there's so many times it's like, 
it would have been way cooler if it had been Tim, although I promised Diana that it would be her. Um, so, so you well, come also, up with like... Part of me is like, well, if it had been Tim, you would have Agatha christie the heck out of it and been like, oh, it was this character who was, has like three lines, barely in it. You well, know? but I kind of want these to be solvable for anybody who wants to solve yeah. them. And that's why it's like, I was wondering about Tim because it was like, he's not a real character in no. here and you're not known to make it a character who has no interaction because I know you don't like it when Agatha Christie writes those yeah. stories that you can't, literally can't figure out. This one you did kind of have to do an addition by subtraction that, mm -hmm. okay, the wife. So the wife wouldn't have killed him. And she couldn't have killed him the way that it happened. Yeah. Um, she most likely at some point would have divorced him, but she really, he really was worth more alive than dead. Yeah. Otzler, mm -hmm. he's too old school to kill him the way he killed him. You know, he would have, I think he would have in some manner gotten him out of the law firm. Mm-hmm disgraced him and then just left him like he would not have done bodily harm i think it also would have worked if you made if you did make him the killer and you made it so he got away with it because he's a lawyer he literally knows how how to manipulate how to it. manipulate it i think it would have worked if you made him the killer too yeah. with that resolve but i mean diana's the way that they were physically in an isolated scene there's yeah. no one else there they could control every aspect yeah Paco did not try to kill one of his best customers. Yeah, I was just like, Paco isn't important enough. He's uh, something, I, he's clearly the drug dealer, but he, yep. I didn't want to believe he was a drug dealer. Like, he, I don't know, he seemed too nice. Well, and I actually thought about cutting his character just for a word count, because he was mm -hmm. so minor, and it's like, do we really need another suspect? Um, but then it kind of fit in nicely, and... And there are cases where people overdose, you know, and then the drug dealers are, are held responsible. But in this case, you know, Weissman wouldn't have overdosed. He would have come around. Yeah. Um, and I guess it would have been a twist if you made it so that he ended up getting arrested in the end where it's like, well, you know, he isn't the main bad guy, but he's still in trouble. I had started to write that, but it just got too long. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I kind of had Yablonski saying, you know, I'll look into it. So they'll go back. But, of course, everything will have been cleaned up, and so they'll keep an eye on it. But yeah. that didn't have a place in this in this particular story. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could end a story, you know? Yep. And, I mean, the one thing I like about this one is there's some other stories we've had on here where it's like, dude, there's two suspects. Mm -hmm. And so with this one, it was like, it really could be anybody, man. I <laughs> mean, it couldn't have been Venus. How would she have done it? Yeah, some, some she was still housebound. Was like, how would these characters have done it? When you consider that he was conscious when he left the office mm -hmm. and dead at the hospital, if you ignore everything else. It has to happen somewhere in that line. And there's only, I mean, when she said, I don't know, it could, I guess it could have been another sister if you'd made it like someone at the hospital, but that wasn't the case. That wasn't so. the case. You yeah. could, you know, did, could Jude have gone in and, you know, drugged him again if it had happened before the pandemic? paramedics arrived yes mm -hmm. but not after yeah so it really becomes almost a like i said a addition by subtraction that well you i guess it could have also been if someone somehow got the drugs in him right as like right before the paramedics showed up mm -hmm. if it you could say it took a minute to kick in mm -hmm. i don't know i don't think cocaine does take long to kick in but like yeah you're right then it could have been jude or somebody could have been because then it would be 
plausible to say he was fine for like 10 minutes and then he just went spiraling for no reason and i think he was conscious enough to know that she was she was killing him, and so he fought back. Yeah, when I Those heard that, I was like, that's wounds. just depressing, man. This guy is <laughs> wired and strapped down. Well, they're just not strapped down like like an insane person, but like so down. he couldn't fall out. Yeah, exactly. They seatbelt you in. And it was just like, holy crap, that's such a terrifying way to go. Yep. These two paramedics just drug, I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel too bad for him. He drove coked up ruined this woman's life walked away and then used his knowledge of he of, had a wife well he might not have had a wife by for in like 10 years but he at least had kids he has kids who don't have a dad now you know if you think about that yeah well the other woman can't like even walk without being in pain and he needs to take responsibility think about for the that. children mom <laughs> what about, about venus's children jack a good ch- does venus have children i don't know i didn't get that far into her character who did? Oh, it was She's the wife married. who had children. I yeah. was like, there was a scene with children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. All right. About me. So, like you, I'm not one thing. I'm a writer, an engineer, a wife, a mother. What is first on the list depends on the day. Today, I'm a podcaster. Beyond the title I claim, I'm the person who loves learning and thoroughly enjoys a good puzzle, is creative, and gets easily bored. This story is an installment in my De La Cruz case file series, coming between raising stakes and playing dead. The series is set in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. In case you are wondering, I hold a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering from Case Western Reserve University and a Master's in Civil from Cleveland State University, which gives me absolutely no background in writing, but I do it anyway. Writing mysteries and engineering isn't as different as you think. Both require logic and process to get from start to a solution. Thank you to my brother Vito for coaching me on paramedics and ambulances. Find me at www.tgwolf.com. So that wraps up episode two of Mysteries to Die For season five. Please do support our show by subscribing, tell a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, tgwolf.com slash podcast, for links to the season's authors and shows. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. Finding Fault was written by T.G. Wolf. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by T.G. Wolf. All right, Jack, the air is yours. <laughs>